Welcome to the Arise Podcast, conversations on faith, race, justice, gender, and healing. And I'm so excited for you to meet my friend and colleague, recent graduate, working in the therapeutic field, also a pastor. Um, And, you know, we're going to touch on the fact that this is the stereotypical Latinx Heritage Month. But, you know, it is really important for us to take up some space and to give voice, uh, give opportunities to talk about what what mental health means for our community and really want to be celebrating this all year round. And that's going to be intentional as well. But, you know, here we're jumping in with this wonderful woman. So listen in and uh, looking forward to the conversation. You know, I'm so impressed with like your work and I know just bits and pieces from Instagram and a lot from like the feeling I had when I was with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for your journey and hear what you're hearing, what you're up to and you know, where you've come from. So I don't know where you want to go or how you want to open up talking about that, but yeah. Um, well, should I just say like my name and like, yeah, yeah. Basic things. Um, okay. Um, mi nombre is Jacqueline Batres Bonilla, um, and I was born in El Salvador, moved to the U.S., specifically directly to Minnesota um, when I was 11 years old. Um, my parents, you know, my dad came to California during the Civil War in El Salvador, and, you know, he learned his English and, like, work in restaurants and he has shared with us that he didn't like the fast pace of the u.s so he went back and then got married with my mom and had my older brother and i um so he has always um fought to be in our country Mm. and it's interesting because he kind of lost the opportunity to become a U.S. citizen because after he left the amnesty in the 80s, um, so all my uncles who stayed are U.S. citizens and he's kind of like the only one who was not able to become it. I mean, he planned not to come back to the U.S. Okay. He, we, I mean, my dad always and my mom worked hard to be business owners and just like, you know, do the best they can to, um, but I remember in the, we moved here 2000, in 2000. I just remember my dad saying like, we have too many debt. Um, we have to go to the US. And my mom was, my mom has always traveled. So, um, so my dad, when he moved, when he moved back in the eighties and he went back, he actually uh, went to school to become a pilot. So he was a Taxi Aedi, what they call. Um, and when he got married with my mom, he was still like finishing his like license and all that. And um, he sold his plane to buy us a house. Um, so then he started like, okay, I have to do business. And so we were um, lucky enough to have visas since we were little because my dad. Um, so we will come like for vacation and see like California and like, Maryland and Washington, where we have uh, family as well. So then my mom was a viajera. I don't know if you ever heard this term before, but my mom will travel every month 
to bring tamales, frijoles, queso fresco, you know, all the, the good stuff that you couldn't find here. And my mom will bring back things that people wanted to, you know, send their relatives, like computers, perfumes, Nikes, filas, and all those things that, um, anyways, so my mom was a viajera, like every month, and my dad was at home, you know, like with the business in El Salvador. But in 2000, before 2000, he's like, we have to go. We have a lot of debt. And um, so I was 11. My brother was, he's three years older than me. So he was 14, 15. Um, and yeah, we moved to Minnesota. And it's crazy because a year after, so, you know, we have to kind of learn English and all the, that, that, you know, um, a year after I was in school and learning English, I was diagnosed with cancer, um, rhabdomyosarcoma. And um, I don't know, we see, we, we see it now as there was a plan for us to come to Minnesota, you know, just having the Mayo Clinic and having like good medical system here. Um, and the type of cancer that I had was so rare, so rare um for a girl my for a girl my age and you know it was such a blessing now we see like okay like maybe my parents never wanted to come but I don't know if I would have been alive if I was an El Salvador because of um just just the what's the word that I'm looking for um how advanced science is in here Mm -hmm. than in our country um but it was it was such a good place to be at that moment. Um, and here I am years later. Um, you know, I feel like I've finished learning English at the hospital. <laughs> so it's been it's been a journey. It's been a journey um, because my mom. So when we move months later, the earthquake in El Salvador occurred and we were granted the TPS status. So the temporary permit status. So my dad had that, my older brother and me, uh, my mom kept her visa because we still had the house over there and relatives that my mom was taking care of. So while I was being treated with chemotherapy and surgeries and all that, my mom stayed a couple of times and had to go back just to keep her visa. And in one of those trips she was not able to return lucky enough for me um i was like finishing my treatment um because she was the person with me in the hospital like i don't remember my dad staying with me but my mom was there with me um and then that's how kind of my family got separated and i have two younger siblings who were born in the u.s so they ended up being with my mom because they were younger and my dad my older brother and i stayed here um so so a forced family separation uh, almost like in the last and when's the last time you saw your mom 2003 2003 it's been a long time yeah I mean I feel the pain even as I say the year yeah It's, it's been a long long time right and did her visa get changed or 
No, it was just um, just cancel and, you know, she was traveling with my younger sister. We actually had to do some like healing stuff with her because she remembers mom crying. She was like four years old. She was born in the U.S. Um, she's like 10 years younger than me. And she just remembered that, you know, immigration brought her to the office, interrogated her. And she's like, you're not able to return with your family. You have to go back. Mm -hmm. um, so my sister, yeah, just remember like crying for crying because my mom was crying, but not understanding what was going on. Um, but until this day, she is one of the most, like, she feels the pain of me not being able, because I'm now I'm like the only one who hasn't seen my mom, mm -hmm. because my brother got married, and he was, you know, just blessed to receive his papers through the, through her his wife, and, but like, he is after 16 years, he was able to see my mom, but I haven't. And my sister is like the one of those that she's like, I'm broken every time I go. I celebrate like seeing my parents, but at the same time, I'm broken because you're not able to. Um, so yeah, but it, it's, it's hard. I mean, and what's hard is like, I think, and you know, you're a therapist now too, we work with people and, you know, they have traumas around family or friends or mm -hmm. a boss or a coworker, mm -hmm. you know, it, there's the list of traumas and in, in some of these traumas, like, it's like, how do you address them? How do you address the injustice? But in this situation, it's systemic trauma and mm -hmm. systemic harm that separated your family and separated you from your loved ones. So in a sense, I just feel that powerlessness of like, Hey, I'm going to shout at the wind. Mm -hmm. And if I make too much noise against the system, it's the same system I need to accept me. So mm -hmm. I can have what I need to see my family. So it's, it's a bind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now that I'm a therapist that I see those cases and hear those stories too, not, not that I, you know, but I can see the trauma that it causes a child, mm -hmm. you know, and how families take, because unfortunately this is so normal in our communities that people don't see it, don't stop to hold the, the pain, the grief that comes with it. Mm -hmm. you know people just like you just have to keep going like keep working and keep like living life and I'm like now when I see clients and I feel how this has traumatized them and increased their anxiety level depression and all those things I'm seeing like how have I like not even I stopped to think about mm -hmm. all the things that I was feeling you know and that were caused because of that mm-hmm um, or to my siblings who were younger or to my parents who had, you know, no say, no, no power to do anything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy just to think about all the things that this can cause, you know, things like this separation in the family mm. and it is happening as we speak. Right. As we speak, it's still happening and it's, you know, it's ongoing for your family. It's ongoing for parts of my family. And, and like I said, there's the, 
uh, one of my brother-in-laws is demanded to ask forgiveness from the U.S. government before he can return. And he didn't didn't do anything except for like go to work, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I know that as people are listening, they're like, that's enough, but you don't understand, right? The whole background to that. And so even the idea of asking forgiveness to a government Mm -hmm. for feeding yourself or feeding your family. Mm -hmm. And for my mom was for taking care of me because I was you know, because they give you a, a period of time and then she was leaving right before, right before. And even just telling the immigration officer about, I have a daughter who has been diagnosed with cancer and she's in treatment. Um, you know, what, what was she doing? You know, just working, taking care of her family. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and just the punishment for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, again, like, you only share what you want to, but I just, I'm noting that part of your journey is to embark on healing. Yeah. On healing, not not just, like, your body, like, healed in your body, like, from the cancer or whatever, but, like, this sense of, like, there's hope for healing for this kind of trauma. And I'm just kind of curious, like what, what prompted you to get into counseling or therapy? Like, yeah, you know, everything started when God was bringing me the attention of listening. Well, Mm. like, he's like, you have to learn how to listen. And I even wrote my thesis about this, like listening to myself, listening to my body, listening to him, listening to what people are saying and one of the things that I got from that was there's like there's healing and freedom when you listen well when somebody listens with a heart with you know um going to school I learned that this moment when when we are with the clients this is a holy place a holy moment right we kind of like the Moses and the bush and the burning bush moment of taking my shoes out because I'm taking myself out and, and kind of arriving to your, where you are and listening. Right. And I just remember like just having those moments of like, of quiet and just listening. And I don't know, I just started like listening more. I like to talk, love to talk more than listen, but God was just like giving me that, desire to like learn how to listen and listen well don't just listen to understand but listen to not just listen to respond but listen to understand and working in in the campus ministry at Bethel um I started just listening to people and people were so attracted to come and meet with me instead of the pastors you know I was not a pastor at that time but you know I've I was like, okay, I feel like this is my calling to listen to people. How can I, you know, learn that and educate myself more on that? And um, my my dad also has been suffering from depression. So when he, he was separated with my mom for four years and a half and he decided to go back. And that was like the first time that he was like, he got a, a breakdown, wow. like mental health and like just being stuck 
like moving, you know, like being here for so long and then moving back um, and just all the family, like he had, he knew that he, when he left, he was not able to return. Right. You know, and having a business and then starting over, over there, it was just so many things. So my dad was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and went through like heart moments and just for us, it was just like a matter of understanding, right? We knew, we grew up listening to his stories about how he grew up and everything that he went through. He always been open about it, mm-hmm. you know, the hard things, the good things. Um, but part of that was also like understanding, like I need to understand more what this means and working with the pastors and working with college students helped me like okay maybe this is something that I want to do and that's how I like got into it and when I'm learning about the basic skills I'm like the Holy Spirit already told me this stuff (laughs) you know how to listen well how to like be in tune with people's emotions and like um so for me it was just like a confirmation of okay this is what I'm supposed to be doing once I started learning and seeing the systemic, you know, as a marriage and family therapy, you see the system, you see mm-hmm. how it's not just about the client, but it's about how the parents, you know, were parenting this child and how it has affected and still affects us as an adult, like mm-hmm. everything, you know? So that's how I, and I, I felt like my husband can tell you, I felt like this program was for me first. Yeah. I always took it as I was like in this in therapy like I did took therapy because they told us like go to therapy because this is going right. to trigger some of the things like from family of origin and and I just remember like some of the classes I was like driving home bawling and crying and crying and my my husband's like what happened what did they did to you what what and I'm like, just give me a moment. Just give me a moment. And so I feel like all those three years were just like first for me, you know, and also receiving therapy and like talking about my family of origin and things that have been going on. Um, it was really helpful. And then couples therapy and, you know, it's, but it's it's been a good journey to to do. I've done a lot of healing. Of course, I'm not done. Because, you know, the stronger parts of me are like, okay, this part is ready. Let's move to this next one. And I think, I think that's how God works. He's not, you know, the Bible says like, he's going to finish the work until he comes back. So we're this work in progress. Um, It's not going to be all at once um, because he's putting, he's making those parts of us stronger for those parts that are still Mm-hmm. Um, bleeding that we don't know of right in our soul or memories or things that we don't even know that are hurting us but they are mm-hmm. so. I mean it's really beautiful and I can definitely relate to going to therapy during grad school and uh, or like and coming home and telling Louise we're doing this all wrong like all of it is wrong or we're not okay and have just be like can you just can you just take a deep breath because we can't we can't accomplish all of this in one moment right but I think I love that picture that you talked about like I've been doing a little research on curanderas and like the method of healing in Latin America specifically in Mexico and just this idea that there's this alignment between your heart 
and your mind and your soul. Mm-hmm. Like you're, and when you're in alignment, that's a place where you're listening from. Mm-hmm. And I, you didn't say that, but that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. That that alignment is, it's already in you. That desire to be aligned, that alignment, and that those people when you were a campus pastor recognized that, mm-hmm. and were like gravitating towards towards you in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, but it but it takes moments of listening to yourself, mm-hmm. listening to it, the whole thing of listening has been an ongoing theme in the last five years for me, like lis- learning how to listen to myself, my limits as a human being of resting of why do I get mad for certain things so quickly? Why do I get irritated? Why, you know, those listening to my emotions, listening to my body um and then listening to god and listening to other people mm-hmm. um you know what what do you tell someone that comes and i know sometimes therapy can be stigmatized in communities of color like what do you say to people that come and be like i don't need therapy i'm going to be fine or like that's crazy like you're making things worse like what do you say to kind of like some of those initial defenses towards therapy? I mean, I, that's such a good question. I could just take it back to, I've always say it's not because people think, right. People think that you have to go to therapy because you're crazy. You haven't, you're hearing words that are not, you're hearing people say something, you're seeing things and, you know, and I, I, I just tell them, you know, sometimes we just need somebody who's not from our family to listen to us. And mm-hmm. w- while we're talking, we're processing mm-hmm. and we can hear ourselves without being judged because people are just listening carefully to us. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's such a, everybody needs somebody to, to listen to them. Mm-hmm. We, we desire that we desire to be known, to be understood. Mm-hmm. And therapies, that's kind of like the basic things, right? That we learn. It, it's just somebody listening to with non-judgmental mm-hmm. um, and understanding your perspective. That's kind of like the goal. So I feel like this is just, if your husband's not listening to you, if your wife is not listening to you, if you don't have friends who can listen to you, if your parents are not listening to you, like just go to therapy. You, you don't have to be crazy to, you know, or be diagnosed with something, but Mm-hmm. I think we all have that desire to be heard and understood. Mm-hmm. Um, that that will be my simple thing that I'll say. Mm-hmm. And I hear you talked a lot about how your faith really aligns with, you know, being a therapist and how do you, how does that come into play when you're with clients? It reminds me to the book of Esther who I don't know if you read the book of Esther, but the book of Esther doesn't mention God at all, but he's present. Right. And as a person who believes that the Holy Spirit is in me and he works through me, sometimes even I'm not even knowing that he's working through me. Sometimes I can sense, you know, but Mm -hmm. I, I don't necessarily like at the, at the clinic where I'm at right now, I don't necessarily work with as a Christian therapist. Mm -hmm. um people some people not my clients but 
my supervisors and some coworkers know that I am a pastor too. Um, but I, I know, and one of my professors actually told me this, like, you can, you can work with God. You can work with the Holy spirit. Nobody has to know, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, he just, he will just prompt you those questions about talk about the grandparents. And all of a sudden this big thing comes from the family of origin uh-huh. that the client's like, it just click in my head. Uh-huh. And you know that who prompts you that question or, you know, uh-huh. so that's kind of like how I see it. Um, and always thinking about the best, the best, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, el mejor interés de la persona, like uh-huh. the best outcome for them, right? The, the healing, the, the connecting the dots that they didn't know. Um, so just thinking about that, not necessarily like imponiendo mi fe, but like just thinking how the best com- outcome for the client. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, re- I think what I hear is you're loving people really well. Yeah. Like you're giving a piece of yourself and in a non judgmental way. And it's more like an invitation. What I hear in, in like, in like, kind of like my, like learning therapeutically, like you're inviting them to their own story so they can listen to themselves. And And and, they can find their own answers. Right. Right. And yeah. Yeah, they can, they, I think that's, I think I read that. I don't even know where, like the good therapist will help you, will help you, you find your own answers. It's not that I have the answers, but you will, something will click in your mind you will know oh this is connected with how my dad raised me mm-hmm. you know things like that and find they have the answer they just mm-hmm. we're just getting all the things out of them mm-hmm. a, a lot of what I hear too and like you can tell me if this is true or not is like I hear like a lot of hospitality yeah a lot of welcome which feels very cultural right the, yes I was just gonna say that is just like the Latino way like the Salvadorian way like it's it's and I remember even one of our professors saying like we have to be hospitable even in our in our way of thinking and how we receive ideas and how we receive views of people mm-hmm. you know but it is it is a hospital way of like wait can you such say a that again can you say that again that was good like we have to be how did you say it it um we have to be hospitable in the way we think and the how we receive the views of others and the perspectives, you know, because hospitable, you always think about, oh, I'm welcoming you, um, you know, te doy cafe, like here's this chair, like are you comfortable? Are you feeling good in this space? But in therapy, it's about the ideas and the views of people and what they bring, right? Mm-hmm. And receiving that as, oh, yeah, I receive that. Mm-hmm. I I receive it as, you know, mm-hmm. even yeah. if it's different. Yeah, I get that feeling even right now in this moment. Like there's so much invitation to be curious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. Yeah, just just learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if someone like wants to get a hold of you or find you as a therapist, as a pastor, like... How do they do that? Well, um, they can go to Great Lakes Psychological Services. That's where I work. 
um, they're looking for a therapist. Um, and as a pastor, they can just go to our Instagram, Espiritu Santo Minneapolis. And that's it. Or look me up, Mrs. Batres Bonilla. I like, I like my two last names. That's such a Latino thing. People try to like, oh, I don't like, I'm like, I like my two names and my two last names, you know? And now when I graduated, I went back to using my full name because it was a thing like, when you come to the US first, you don't know the language. And I discovered like, why did I change my name from Jacqueline to Jackie? Mm-hmm. It was because teachers would tell me, you know, when I started going to school, sixth grade, can we call you Jackie? And I didn't know how to respond. I'm like, okay. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know how, I didn't know English. So I didn't know how, like, no, my name is Jacqueline, not Jacqueline, not Jackie, Jacqueline, you know? So when I graduated and I started working, I'm like, I'm going to go back to my given name, mm. Jacqueline, you know? So now I'm trying my best to say that because a lot of people in our community already know me as Jackie, but at work it's Jacqueline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love, I love that you're reclaiming your name and that yeah. has so much meaning and purpose. Yeah. And that's so much of what you're inviting your clients to, right? Yeah. 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 Thank you for being with me today. Yeah, no, thank you for inviting me to your space too. Yeah, we need to do this again. Yeah. (laughs)